secrets of the Mao Mao, this oath will kill me. If I am called in the night and refuse to come, this oath will kill me. If I see anyone steal white man's property, I must help him. I must hide what he gives me and say nothing, or this oath will kill me. The whole system in this country, the economic system, is such that uh, jobs are scarce. Automation is limiting jobs. It's, it's, it's decreasing jobs. And uh, if autom as automation eliminates the job opportunities, legislation will not create job opportunities. All it will do is bring about friction and hostility between the two races. You, you see, there will be no uh, progressive revival if black uh, folks are not deeply involved in it. I will obey all orders of the Mao Mao, or this oath will kill me. Hello, hello, and welcome to today's Mao Mao Hour. Uh, as you can see, today's uh, title is Haiti in Crisis. We'll be talking to Pascal Robert and Paul McComb. But first, I'd just like to say thank you for being here. Um, I am M. Toussaint, uh, and I'm hosting uh, the Mau Mau Hour. Let's see. If you're new to the channel, please like, subscribe, and if you like what you see, make sure to hit the notifications bell as we're constantly adding new episodes. Keep an eye out for that and all of our other TIR Presents shows, Gaming Materialists with Gene Bajlan and C. Derek Barn, and of course, the Mau Mau Hour for patrons first, then the rest of the public. Uh, we are also an audio podcast. The show started out as an audio podcast, um, but you can always get the audio for every episode that we do. We also have new merch. Check it out. We'll put the link in the chat. And here we go. I'd like to introduce you to the man of the Mau Mau Hour. His name is Pascal Robert. Hello, Pascal. Thank you, Thank you, How are you? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you tonight? Doing okay. Okay. Well, today we have a spicy topic for our show, as it always is. We're going to be talking about the crisis in Haiti. Peace and greetings to the chat. Peace and greetings to the audience. Peace and greetings mm -hmm. to M2 Sun and our guest. For those who do not know, who have not seen him on our show before, our guest today is the one and only Dr. Paul C. McComb. Was a Haitian philosopher and sociologist, former visiting professor at philosophy and sociology at Bethune-Cookman University, assistant professor of philosophy and sociology at West Virginia State University, and president and CEO of the McCormian Foundation Incorporated. He's interested in the application of his theories of phenomenological structuralism and consciousness field, consciousness field theory to the contemporary issues such as the conscious, the continuation the Constitution of Consciousness, Race, Class, and Capitalism. Welcome, Dr. Paul McComb. Thank you, Brother Pascal, for having me, bro. Long time Thank no you. see, man. Long time you haven't been on our show in a while, Paul. You know, every time you come on, you bring fire to the episode like a good Haitian brother <laughs> will do. And um, as you know, Paul, you know, there's so many a variety of issues that you and I can get into on this subject matter because you know you are definitely an expert on the history and the current events of what's going on in Haiti. But I think the first question for our audiences that we should ask is, where are we today 
in terms of what has transpired in Haiti from the assassination to Jovenel Moïse to this point. Can you give us a summary of exactly what has transpired that has brought us to this moment? Cool, brother. I'm going to try to give a brief uh, summary of where we are now. And before I do, so I don't be, so I'm not accused of being sexist. Uh, I want to say what's up to Toussaint as well. Thank <laughs> you. I appreciate well, that. I love your ceiling fan. Good job. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> since the assassination of Jovenel Moise, uh, and this is going back a year, for, uh, almost 15 months now, uh, the U.S. Uh, appointed a Puppet. Although he was appointed by uh, Jovenel, Al Ali, Dr. Ariel Henry, prior to his assassination, uh, Claude Joseph was the interim uh, prime minister. However, his term would have been up, uh, I think, a month prior to uh, the assassination of Jovenel. Um, Ariel was appointed by uh, the core group to replace Claude Joseph as the prime minister. Now, for many of you who don't know who Dr. Ariel Henry is, um, he's basically a, a stooge of the, the U.S. State Department. Uh, he stood up, he stood against the Aristide uh, um, uh, regime, the first and second. In fact, he was instrumental in fomenting the coup against Aristide. And basically, he was put in place, he was selected, he was basically given to Jovenel to continue the neoliberal policies that began under the Matali administration, actually began under the Aristide administration. <clears throat> Excuse me. And to understand the current situation in Haiti, we have to understand it within the context of the neoliberal policies that were forced upon Haiti since Aristide's administration. Because many of the interviews since the death of Jovenel have focused on the gang situation, the crisis in Haiti, the assassination, without understanding uh, the whole situation within the socioeconomic political context of the forced neoliberal policies that were placed upon the country. Now, Jovenel was assassinated and Ariel, when he was, he was appointed by Jovenel, once he was appointed by the core group who is, uh, uh, who, basically took over the country post the earthquake. Can you define the core group for the audience? The core group were a group of international communities led by the US, Canada, France, the European Union, and the UK. And their whole focus was to see that Haiti's transition, this smooth transition into what was known as uh, the neoliberal order, the American rule-based international order. And for your, your audience, Neoliberal policy, the emphasis is on the privatization of all state assets, um, uh, austerity measures in the uh, society, and basically uh, 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 American and European companies come and basically uh, uh, privatize all of the major industries. Prior to Aristide, the Haitian state owned its electric company, the water company, the ports, so when, after the earthquake, they appointed this stooge, Michel Martelly, as the president uh, of the country, and his sole aim was to continue the neoliberal policy. So he basically privatized all of the state institutions. The last two state institutions that were not privatized 
under the Matili, were not completely privatized under the Matili administration, were the ports as well as the electric company, although that, that Matili began the process of the privatization of the electric company, it was known as Ideash in Haiti. And Jovenel Moise was supposed to continue this privatization of the, the uh, uh, electric company, and Matili would continue the privatization of the ports, which he did. Um, he privatized, he, they introduced what's called a public-private partnership between the Haitian state and private Ola, the, the Haitian oligarchs. And Port, port Lafito was the last major port, which is the port of Port-au-Prince, that was privatized. It was actually sold to one of the billionaires in Haiti. His name is Biggio, who was of Jewish ancestry. And they privatized that. So basically, the task was left to Jovenel to privatize the electric company. And his mantra when he got into office post the Matili administration was that he was going to electrify the entire country by the end of his administration. But like many of the stooges who are put in place, now Pascal is well, uh, well aware of this policy of politique de doublé in Haiti, in which the oligarchs back then initially was the mulattoes and the petty bourgeois blacks. But currently it's the oligarchs that push this politique de doublé where they take someone from the uh, a dark-skinned Haitian from the provinces, from the peasant class, and put them as a political puppet as president to basically implement any all of their policies, economic, social, and political policies in the country. And that was the role that Jovenel was supposed to play. However, his conscience got the best of him. And in the attempt to electrify the country, he realized that until uh, privatizing public-private partnership between the Haitian oligarchs and the Haitian state and to implement a fee-based system uh, 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 of electricity, same, same way we have here in the States. So his conscience must have gotten the best of him and he decided to challenge that. And instead he looked to Russia to provide uh, um, uh, subsidy, oil subsidies. He also was put in place to uh, uh, um, limit the state subsidies of gas and natural uh, 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 resources in the country. His conscience got to Turkey as well. He reached out to Turkey as well, if I'm mistaken. Yes, yes. He reached out. Initially, his biggest mistake is reaching out to Russia. They didn't mind Turkey so much, but his biggest mistake was he reached out to Russia and then he attacked the oligarchs who were who were forcing him to privatize uh, um, the electric companies, and some will argue this is what this strife between him and the oligarchs is what led to his assassination. Post his assassination, Ariel Henry come into office, and he continues the neoliberal policies. He privatized the electric companies, so you know that ended Jovenel's um, uh, efforts. And he also uh, 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 stopped the state subsidies of the uh, uh, oil in the country. And some will argue this is where the gang problem. I, I was watching Laurent Lamotte not the, about two months ago give a talk on Al Jazeera, in which he tries to argue that the, ish, the gang issue 
uh, uh, is a matter of, uh, um, you know, lack of food. He doesn't go into the neoliberal issues. But to be honest, you have to understand the current crisis, the gang crisis in Haiti, in terms of Haiti's historical and political uh, uh, unfolding as well. Because even during the Haitian Revolution, we the country was always tribalized. Many of the, the, the revolutionary leaders had their own gangs. And that system of the tribalization of the uh, uh, political apparatus in Haiti dates back to the Haitian Revolution and continues today. Every single politician in Haiti has a gang member. Now, there's three origins to the gang, the contemporary gang issue in Haiti. First and foremost, the gangs are a result of the political apparatus or lack thereof in the in Haitian society. In order during the elections and the gang issue, even on even under Aristide, during the elections, the the candidates require basically bodyguards and protection as they roll out the vote, etc. So they would pay uh, local gangs in the in the uh, uh, ghettos of Haiti who, because of a lack of food, because of these neoliberal policies that forced the peasantry into the city looking for industrial work, many of them have no means of uh, no income, etc. So the politicians would throw money at them to provide security for their uh, delegation. So that's the first origins of the gang crisis. And that aspect of, of tribalization, gangs, that dates back to the Haitian Revolution. We didn't call it gangs back during the Haitian Revolution, but it was the same process. Makaya, Sun Susi, they each had their, their, their communities of uh, uh, leaders that they fought under, et cetera. The second origin of the gang issue dates back to this notion of uh, uh, expats who are returned from, uh, um, uh, who've served their incarceration time in, in America and then are deported. Now, what happens in those situations, many of them, when they return to Haiti, they don't have any families and they start gangs. So when you go to places like Cite Soleil, you'll see places known as Brooklyn, the Bronx, Newark. These are communities led by expats who were incarcerated in the U.S. and now they've re re reproduced the gang and those are involved in criminal activities. Now, the third issue, which I haven't completely subscribed to yet, is one that is being promoted by Kim Ives, who's a, uh, an American journalist, who's a, a radical left journalist who argues that one of the gang members or a group of gangs was called the G9, led by Jimmy Shiggy's here, known, known as Barbecue, that his gangsterism is basically an evolution of his rise to social political awareness. Uh, and to some extent, he's right, because what he's done, because of was Jimmy Sherizier was part of the Mateli, and he was a police officer in the Mateli Lamont administration. And basically, he took the fall or was accused of uh, killing uh, a group of people when he was sent out, when his detail was sent out in the south of Haiti. And he basically resent, he, he, he became resentful of the administration and they fired him and he formed his own gang. And according to Kim Ives, 
he's different from the two other gangs, the 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 clan and gangsterism that's tied to the political apparatus or lack thereof, and the group of expats who form their own drug dealing illegal gangs uh, in places like Cité Soleil, Delma. And what Ives argue is that barbecue he's more evolved because what he's done or what he's been doing for the last couple of months since the assassination is that he's blockaded the the importation of oil and water and other natural resources in onto the island and he's actually charging remember as i stated before there was this private public partnership in which the haitian oligarchs own all the ports and the, the emphasis was that because out of this public-private partnership, the Haitian state would use its income to invest in social uh, uh, services in the country, but that never happened. So what Barbecue is doing is that he's blockaded the ports and he's taxing the oligarchs in terms of millions of dollars and using that money to do to provide social services in the ghetto, especially in his area, Delma, uh, Delma Cot, Delma Sink. And he's also providing money for the people in the community. So his gangsterism is a little different from that of the, the political clans or the gangs aside, uh, associated with violence and drug dealing. So post the earthquake, what you have is a group of gangs who technically blockaded the island. You have a group of gangs involved in illegal activities. You have a group of gangs associated with every politician. And then you have uh, Jimmy Cherizier, who, according to Ives, is this political revolutionary leader. Now, Ariel Henry is basically in place to implement all of the remaining neoliberal policies uh, that Jovenel Moise did not implement. Now, there is this push for this group of civil society. And I, I don't believe in this term civil society as it's used in neoliberal, uh, the neoliberal global order. But this group of 500 members who call themselves the representative of the, 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 the Haitian people constitute what's called the Montana Accord. Now, according to some, they have a plan to, uh, um, now, when Ariel Henry came into office, he was supposed to uh, hold elections a year after he got into, uh, he was appointed into office. He stopped that, uh, that movement. He was implicated in the death of Jovenel Moise, so he suspended uh, uh, the investigation. So now the U.S., wants him involved in the Montana Accord and he they want him to play a role in the Montana Accord because he's the only one they trust in the country. And to be fair, I do I do not believe the Montana Accord represent the interests of the Haitian people. It's just a group of technocrats who are looking to basically be on the good graces of the uh, uh, the core group. And both groups Ariel Henry, as well as the members of the Montana Accord, are asking for intervention into the and to to provide security uh, for the Haitian state because the gang members are controlling uh, uh, the community. However, recently in the UN resolution, America only 
pointed to uh, uh, Jimmy Shelly's Yeah Barbecue as the only gang member in his group of gangs, who known as the G9, as the only group gang members uh, uh, that need to be uh, that they need to go after. None of the other groups, none of the groups associated. The, uh, there's a group called uh, um, uh, uh, G Pep. They, they're not going after them. They basically identify Jimmy Sherry's here barbecue as the main culprit and is the whole that's keeping the country from quote unquote uh, uh, evolving politically and socially. So uh, this call for UN intervention, um, the, the Russians and the Chinese are skeptical about it and they, they, they basically are standing against this call. CARICOM led uh, uh, under the umbrella of the Bahamas have volunteered to serve as this peacekeeping force to go after the gang members, not all of the gang members, just G9 and Jimmy Cherizier barbecue, which makes me skeptical. I'm, I'm slowly leaning towards Kim Ives. I don't think he's revolutionary. He's reached a level of revolutionary consciousness uh, along the lines that Ives has uh, uh, pointed to. But I do believe that uh, for the oligarchs, as well as for the technocrats in the country, they they do see him as a uh, uh, um, as a threat because of some of the social services that he's providing in the communities. He's providing health care. He's providing goods. He's providing food due to taxation of the ports and the oligarchs, of course. But. This is the situation we find ourselves currently uh, in Haiti. Um, I don't. So, go ahead, brother. So you're saying that the fact that the United States is targeting barbecue specifically in its uh, sanctions, and that the oligarchy particularly is opposed to barbecue because he is impinging on their capacity to control resources in the country would dictate to you that maybe the Kim theory that he's some kind of rogue actor against the interests of the powers that be that traditionally have had a chokehold on the country may actually be a salient argument? For me, yes. The fact that they've identified him at the expense of all of the other uh, uh, gang members suggests that he, he is a major threat. And he's a major threat because not only is he providing these social services, but he's also providing names of the Haitian oligarchs who sponsor him or who've sponsored him in the past. So that makes him a threat to the oligarchy and it makes him a threat to the political class of technocrats because he also named some of the political technocrats who have given him money for protection uh, during the election as well. So let me ask you another question. Has there been any legitimate effort that has been made to find the killer of Jonah Moise? There were in the beginning, but as I stated before, um, when um, the high court in Haiti uh, implicated uh, Ariel Henry in, in the assassination, he basically suspended the investigation, and that was the end of the investigation. So basically, they, they left it to the Haitian diaspora and the Haitian people on the island to to deduce that Jovenel's death was drug related because many of the 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 the, the um, captives that they captured were drug dealers. Q 
uh, uh, Colombian drug lords, associated with Colombian drug lords, but they don't want to mention the fact that Ariel Henry was also implicated in the assassination of Jovenel Moïse. What do you think, when you, when you see all of these machinations, Paul, Dr. McComb, what exactly do you think is the United States' long-term plan for for Haiti and, and when you see these plays being made? Do you agree also with the position that the assassination could not have happened without a green light from the United States? Absolutely. There's no way the assassination takes place without the green light from the U.S. Now, in terms of the long-term plan for Haiti, Haiti, if you look at Haiti within the Caribbean and remove it from Latin America, if you keep Haiti in Latin America, you notice that Haiti's, uh, uh, um, Haiti is undergoing the same processes you see in, in, in uh, Bolivia, in Nicaragua and Cuba, etc. If you remove Haiti from Latin America and situate it completely in the Caribbean, you see Haiti is the only black country that refuses and continues to protest against uh, uh, neoliberal, this neoliberal order that they've been trying to implement on Haiti since the Aristide administration. Um, Haiti is constantly protesting. And this protest is no different from what you saw in Cuba, what you've seen. Now, the problem with Haiti, we don't have a revolutionary political leader like a Fidel Castro. Most of our intellectuals, uh, uh, those who would lead, who are comparable to a Castro are in the diaspora. And because they're in the diaspora, they're not as sophisticated as uh, uh, the, inte the intellectuals we see in Haiti. Now, the problem with what we see in Haiti because of the dysfunction of the Haitian state, the dysfunction of civil society in Haiti, it's hard to educate the masses, it's hard to prop up or to see the emergence of a socio-political revolutionary leader along the lines of Fidel Castro, uh, uh, Che Guevara, uh, so uh, Patrice Lumumba, Thomas Sankara, we don't find that in Haiti. It, there's a dearth of, uh, of revolutionary leaders in Haiti. And then the diaspora is so embourgeois in, in, in Canada and the U.S. that their revolutionary thinking is identity politics. So what you find in Haiti contemporarily, and this is why I said I was against this whole notion of civil society in Haiti. What you find in Haiti is a civil society whose sole emphasis is not on implementing socioeconomic policy to assist uh, the country in terms of uh, 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 providing for itself agriculturally, et cetera. No, the sole emphasis is on identity politics. One of the major policies that Jovenel Moise passed prior to his death was this gay marriage act that the U.S. pushed upon him. Because remember, uh, uh, this is part, I'm a plug in my new book, Neoliberal Globalization. There's two aspects of this neoliberal uh, process. On the one hand, you have the, the economic side with the emphasis on privatization of state assets, uh, uh, austerity, et cetera. And on the other side, you have this wokeism, identity politics, promoting gay marriage, promoting women in the public sphere, et cetera. All of that taken together represents the, the rule, rules-based neoliberal economic order of the U.S. 
So civil society in, in Haiti, the emphasis is on identity. We, there's a group called Courage in Haiti, which, which gets most of its funding from uh, um, National Endowment for Democracy. Their sole emphasis is ex promoting gay marriage, et cetera, et cetera. And so the civil society, the emphasis is not on revolutionary economic policies to help the Haitian masses. And this is the problem that Haiti's facing. And this is why Ives alludes to uh, um, uh, Bobby Q as a revolutionary leader because he's implementing some of these social policies. He's not implementing economic policies per se in terms of uh, Haiti becoming uh, uh, self-sufficient in terms of providing for its own uh, uh, food, et cetera, none of that, but he is providing some social uh, uh, services. So, okay, what exactly is the role in Car of CARICOM in the surrounding Caribbean plain in terms of these developments? Well, under the Matili administration, Haiti be became a part of CARICOM. It wasn't prior to that. It became part of CARIFESTA. I don't know if you knew that, but Haiti hosted CARIFESTA, which is a cultural festival. Uh, that's promoted within CARICOM. Haiti, for the first time, Matali bought that organization to celebrate Haiti's acceptance into CARICOM. But I don't know if you know that, but CARICOM is nothing but a puppet of the, the U.S. State yes, Department, probably. brother. So basically, it, the, the, the focus on, on CARICOM is forcing Haiti to uh, adopt the austerity measures as well as the privatization measures and industrialization measures uh, uh, that the the core group is pushing on Haiti. And we, we have to realize what does the core group want? You asked me that question. And I, I think I may have failed to answer. What does the core group want from Haiti? Well, there's three things. Paul Collier, Bill Clinton, all of them, they wrote, a, 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 they penned an economic uh, of a roadmap for Haiti. The emphasis is on industrialization, to relocate factories from uh, uh, China and Taiwan to Haiti, uh, uh, assembling factory work. Uh, excuse me. Um, you have companies such as Disney, Levi Jeans there. So it becomes a cheaper labor force than that provided by China and Taiwan, a cheaper industrial labor force. Then agribusiness. And that's what Jovenel Moise went. They call him the banana man agribusiness, export agribusiness into Haiti. So displace the peasantry off of the land. The land then becomes uh, 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 is, becomes suitable for agribusiness, exporting banana and other fruits cheaply to the U.S. and U.K. and, and Canadian uh, uh, population. So you have cheap ag agribusinesses, industrialization for the masses who are displaced off of the land into the, the capital city, and the third thing is post-industrialization of Haiti. By what means? Well, um, under the Matali administration, they went around the country building basketball courts throughout the country, brother, building basketball courts, building stadiums. Because the, the second aspect was to get, just like in the 1930s and 40s, they got the Dominicans to adopt baseball, and baseball became a means to economic gain for the Dominicans. Well, the aim became to, to force the Haitians to adopt basketball as a means to economic gain, basketball and entertainment. So if you look at it, one of the things after Carafesta, the other thing that Matali did 
was he invited Lil Wayne and Chris Brown to give concerts to uh, 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 in, in Haiti. And so what now what you have is the rise of uh, uh, Haitian rap in Haiti. That's supposed to be a means to economic gain. Uh, basketball is supposed to they invited many NBA players to come out and do basketball camps on the island. So those are the three avenues to development that the core group has put in place for Haiti under the rules-based neoliberal order with the, so, with the adoption of wokeism, identity politics, women in the political sphere, and, and, and the privatization of all state assets. Well, the, the, the problem with all of these quote-unquote identity politics is not so much that we, we are opposed to people having powers and rights, but it's that it's being done at the expense of any kind of economic development with redistribution of resources. And it's made to seem like in America that, you know, the, the black faces in high places is some kind of magical weapon to make you feel better about what your condition is when it does not address the material conditions of the people at the bottom of the, of the society. Yes, absolutely. Somebody asked in the chat, what about soccer? Soccer as well. I forgot. They built soccer and, and basketball um, courts throughout the island. So 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 the question then becomes, Paul, what are the oppositional forces in the Haitian diaspora? And are they do they have the understanding necessary to challenge the of uh, the these agenda that these the core group and the United States have had for Haiti for the last 30 plus years, maybe even going back longer than that. Absolutely. I'm going to answer you. Absolutely not, brother. When you listen to the diaspora, I, I, for the past two, three weeks, I've been so upset, Pascal, because what you find in the diaspora, you have a group of, let's be honest, a, 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 a managerial class in the diaspora who is pushing for state intervention. Because many of in the diaspora, number one, you have you have the old Givalieris uh, uh, group that came post Givalier to America. Many of them are doctors, lawyers, managerial, professional managerial class group of people. And then you have the Aristide uh, uh, coup d'etat group of people who came in the uh, uh, 1990s and beyond. And those tended to be less educated. And there are young people who have a, a yearning to learn about the history and about the culture of the country, but they're not politically engaged in the country like the the older uh, diaspora group. And their sole aim is to have a Haiti under Givalier in which they can go on vacation and build their home, their retire, their retire, uh, uh, re retiree uh, homes, etc. But their sole aim has been U.S. intervention. But because of the lack of political sagacity, what happens after intervention? It's one thing to propose intervention, not knowing the political conditions of Haiti, because Haiti suffers from a lack of political leaders and political elites who are truly invested in the country outside of their material private interests. And so the diaspora, they want intervention but then this diametrically opposed what the people on the island want, because the people on the island, they don't want intervention. You know, you, you have a group of intellectuals, Gary, Pierre, Paul, et cetera, who are saying, yes, the U.S. need to intervene. But then what? Because 
you fail to associate what has happened to Haiti as a result of U.S. and European intervention in the political system of Haiti. So, the, yes, there is a need for security on the island, but the question becomes, can the U.S. provide that security when the people themselves don't want the U.S. on the, look what has happened Minister bought cholera. You have an uptake on the cholera epidemic again because of a lack of water and resources flowing in into the country. Uh, you have the the U.S. occupation post Aristide, you who were accused of rape uh, 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 and all sorts of depravities on the island. So all of these interventions have brought, like we like to say in, in Creole, malédiction on the island. You know what I'm saying? So. It's one thing for the diaspora who would love to go on vacation in Haiti, but because of the lack of security on the island, they can't afford to. So therefore, because they're caught up and the, they're, they've been embourgeoisied by the, the by U.S. society, all they see is this neoliberal economic order as the solution to Haiti's problems. And for me, that's not the solution. There has to be a Haitian solution. Uh, I don't think it's going to come from the Montana Accord. I don't think it's going to come from the Haitian oligarchy. Uh, hopefully it can come from uh, 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 <laughs> the ghettos of the country. I don't know, brother. Well, Paul, you gave us a very, very deep and in detail presentation. We should actually look to take some questions from our chat. Uh, sure. Do you want to take some, some questions at this stage? Yeah, let's see. We have a question from Van Poor. Uh, he says, the question I've been asking is, is there any political force that can take power in Haiti with or without U.S. backing? The current people have no legitimacy and the, the, the diaspora got nothing. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, you know, as I was speaking just now, I started thinking about G, the, the G9 force along the lines of the FARC organization in Colombia. That's how I view them. I, there's no political force in the U.S. diaspora or in Canada that can implement any sort of, <laughs> what are they going to bring? Neoliberalism, the Haitian oligarchy, neoliberalism, the Montana group, neoliberalism. You have Jean-Charles uh, Jean Moise, uh, who, is, who was a former san senator from OCAP, he claims to be a socialist, but many claim he's getting backing from the, you know, National Endowment for Democracy from the U.S. So he 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 did bring out the Haitian masses and told them to go and rob all of the banks. So maybe, well, maybe. I think that's the solution. Okay, that's one solution. That was one solution, and mind you, he's a former senator. He tried to retract that, but it was too late. By the, by, it came out, and then you you have a bunch of NGOs who constitute uh, uh, the civil society, and all they want to do is give out handouts. Well, well, Paul, let me tell you something. I'll be very frank with you. I look at all of the affairs that are going on in Haiti as part of a thirty-plus-year constellation of events that are premised specifically on weakening the Haitian nation-state surrendering it to NGOs and neoliberalization, privatizing state assets, and ensuring that this is the exact fate or complete that we see right now, that there is never supposed to be a, a stable Haitian nation, a Haitian nation state. So the country is either between consistent occupation or constant destabilization. 
I agree. My the only hope I see is a, a multipolar world order in which you know somehow we can partner the Haitian state if it can if we can have a political mobilization that takes place uh, in which they can appeal to Russia and, and China to help develop uh, Haiti as part of China's One Road Initiative or or as part of uh, the Russian uh, provide cheap oil. Venezuela tried to assist Haiti in that, um, but when Matali came into office, what he did was he used the money from Petro Caribe money as loan to private industry to open up businesses in Haiti, which was insane, which was not the purpose of the money, uh, uh, the funds from the Petro Caribe fund. But um, for me, the only solution for Haiti, and I agree with you, it, it would be a multipolar world order in which Haiti has options outside of the core group. But if Haiti's development and, and, and Haiti's rise out of the depravity it's in is contingent upon the core group and American neoliberalism? I don't think so, brother. What is this, this question? Uh, yes, we have a question from Evan. Would you say NGOs are keeping Haiti destabilized to provide a permanent jobs program for the PMCs who staff the NGOs and agencies that profit off of Haitian crisis? One hundred percent, because what the NGOs do, it, it neuters the the human initiative of the Haitian people. You know, prior to the advent of NGOs, I was born in Haiti. I was born and raised in Haiti. I left Haiti when I was seven. What prevented Haiti from collapse compared to uh, uh, all the other nation states in Latin America, in the Caribbean, was the fact that you had a voodoo sector that provided everything that the state did not. So in Haiti, if you lived in the countryside or in the provinces, if you needed to go to a hospital, you went to a Wongun who, who provided you all of the, 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 the medicinal services you would get at a hospital. Uh, not on the, the same level, but of course, uh, all sorts of uh, exchanges took place. Haiti had a social civil society that was undergirded by the voodoo sector. But neoliberalism, the emphasis is on basically uh, 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 removing the peasantry, removing that traditionalism that undergirded Haiti for so long since the revolution to remove that, displace the people off of the land and into the cities in order to become a, a, a lumping proletariat for, 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 for the capitalist class, the oligarchy in, in Haiti. So civil society comes in with these NGOs who claim to provide what Haiti did not have, et cetera. And all it is, it, 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 it's, it's a racket. It, you know, some of these civil societies, they're not coordinated. They do whatever they want to. There's no state apparatus to basically uh, 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 overlook, oversee what these uh, uh, these NGOs are doing. They have carte blanche. They're, you know, some groups, some church groups, they're molesting children, they're raping children. It, it, it's just an awful mess, an awful mess. And we have to look at NGOs as part of this whole neoliberal process as well. It's just a mess. Hmm. 
is it so would you say it's not worth asking if any are doing any kind of good work what about the one from white class um and, and you know, they, has one they try to promote white clef as president white clef could barely speak creole and he was supposed to become president of the country insane man what the the the, uh, the absurdities of the american state you know, Pascal and I may disagree on this. There's one person I, I, I would say just was doing good works in Haiti, Pascal and I disagree, was Paul Farmer, the late Paul Farmer. He did establish a, a, a hospital, a state-of-the-art hospital in Haiti. He did provide some medical assistance in the countryside. Uh, um, Pascal, <laughs> Pascal and I disagree with that, but I, I think he did some good work, um, but outside of that i can't think of any other wow. why, why why clef they were promoting him to be president of haiti as a face because you know he was a celebrity and they could get a celebrity to promote all this, this neoliberal foolishness onto the people so i'm not a big fan of why clef well he didn't take the job so <laughs> no they, that's because they realized he 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 may have had the he wasn't as popular in Haiti as he is in the diaspora. Uh, oh, I can see that. You have a question from Shirley. Is barbecue being pursued by the authorities? How much of a threat do the elites find him to be? Great question. Great question. Yes, the U.S. did put a, a, a notice out, a ban on him traveling to the U.S., freezing of his accounts, and all they claim... They did not name everybody associated with him in their affidavit, but uh, um, all those who are funding him, and he's named names. He's even named Joe. Uh, uh, um, what is his name? Jean Charles Moise. Uh, he's named a lot of politicians, and yes, they claim that they. The only thing they haven't done thus far is put out a warrant for his arrest. But the aim is if there if a um, if a UN force is, is placed in Haiti, he, he's public enemy number one. I'm trying to figure out how he got this far. <laughs> it almost feels like, is this guy an invention of Vice magazine? Like, he's a character. Well, it, it, his thing was, he, because of his disillusionment with the Matali administration, his firing from the police force, he just became antagonist to the Haitian state, basically the, the Haitian politicians. And somehow Kim Ives turned them into this political revolutionary leader along the lines of Fidel Castro. I, I'm not there yet, um, but the fact that the US has named them as being public enemy, enemy number one, the Haitian oligarchy, the Montana group have named them as public enemy, something is there. You know, whenever the State Department or anything, you know, they lie about everything. So the fact that they named him as public enemy number one, uh, he, he's a major threat. Well, his thing is supposed to be arson. With not only arson, but he's also, he's blockaded the ports. Uh, he's blockaded this so you can't drive from one end of Port-au-Prince to another. He's blockaded all the major streets. He unified nine other gangs as part of his group. Um, you know, in an ideal world, a person of that intellect, you would think, should be a political leader. Uh, but because of his lack of education and um, 
I guess he has practical training. So, well, he was a police officer. Yes, he was a police officer trained by a minister and um, the core group. So, how are the police viewed in Haiti? Because oh, that's another States, issue. That that okay. is corrupt, 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 corrupt. Because remember, the Haitian state, because of everything is tied, and because they've had to privatize so many of their industries, the only sort of income to the Haitian state is taxation, but you can't tax the people who have nothing. So the Haitian state can't implement any. The, the Haitian state has no, uh, 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 no presence in the country outside of its political leadership. So you can't pay your police officers. So your police officers are being paid by the gang members. Uh, their gang members themselves. So it's just one corrupt order. So to go after Jimmy Cherizier, you would have to go to after some of the police officers who who are looking out for him because he still have people in in the in the police right. that that's looking out for him. That's why they they're unable to do anything. It's all one big corruption. That's that's amazing. We don't have to we, we keep thinking of the Haitian state. As, as a state parallel to all other states ah. around the world it's not the haitian state has post the gya regime the ah. haitian state has been non-existent and non-existent in the country there's no there's no admitted ah. they tried to build let me tell you how corrupt the haitian state is under the Matéli administration they try to build ah. administrative complexes in the communes of the country so Haiti is divided into 11 departments and 144 communes. So each so each department would have one administrative complex, which they went around building, but they're sitting empty. So now when you go to the administrative complex in Okap, it has grass growing out of it. It's, just, it's, it's insane. It's insane. The state can't pay it. The politicians, once they get in the office, their income comes from the, the international community. The Haitian wouldn't state does not generate enough income to pay its politicians. Wouldn't you say that these are these attempts to gut the functionality of the state are part of the actual plan for the international actors to make sure the state internally is weakened by every single effort for it to strengthen itself? Absolutely. Haiti is the embodiment of the neoliberal state. If you want to see a paragon of the, what the neoliberal state would look at like, Haiti it is. Because the state offers no function in the community. It has no, it does not offer any social services. It, it, it's just a sad case. It's, it's a sad, no social welfare policy, no absolutely nothing. Everything has been privatized. All of the state uh, services post the GVIA regime has been privatized. The ports were the last to be privatized. Okay, we have another question from Vancor here. I saw last week that the protesters have been calling on Russia and China to veto UN action. With the rising tension, could Haiti become a flashpoint like Ukraine and Taiwan? And the U.S. would never allow that, not in its backyard. However, so. it can become a, 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 a Cuba, a Bolivia, a, a, a Nicaragua. It can become that 
with partnership with Russia to provide cheap oil, China to help Haiti with its development policies, uh, uh, its social development and economic policies like it's doing in Africa. You could see that. But like I said before, uh, uh, Jovenel Moise attempted to reach out to Russia to bypass uh, American hegemony. And that was it. Now, do we have a political leadership in Haiti that's sophisticated enough to make that move? Uh, I don't see it. The masses are more sophisticated than the political elites who all they're interested is their own self-interest. That, um, so we could see Haiti if if it's able to get a political leader who who would partner with Russia and China, we could see that. But then it would be a persona non grata. Exactly. To the America. America would never allow that to happen. Mm. I don't see it. The okay. Haitian people would have to go to war like during the Haitian Revolution. All right. Well, okay. We've got another question about barbecue. And after this question, I have a question about barbecue because he's getting on my nerves already. Um, what are Paul's impression of barbecue's politics? Do they lean in any particular direction beyond what appears to be a form of populism or pursuit of some degree of power slash control? And after that, after you answer that, I want you to tell me how barbecue story ends. <laughs> How does it end, friend? Go ahead. Okay. Um, there's two reactions to neoliberalism, and I use neoliberalism for its contemporary nomenclature, but it, it was liberalism back in the 1930s when uh, the, uh, an Austrian anthropologist by the name of Karl Polanyi writes this great book called The Great Transformation, and he's trying to understand the rise of fascism within capitalism, within free uh uh, liberal societies. And he argues part of the problem is is uh, uh, a reaction to the neo uh, to liberalism gives rise to traditionalism and protection and protectionism. And this protectionism eventually leads to fascism. And when you look, when I try to understand barbecue's position within that understanding and then Kim's Ives understanding of him being a political revolutionary leader along the lines of Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, uh, uh, um, et cetera. I've, I believe he's not promoting a, a, he's promoting a sort of nationalism that is devoid of traditionalism, but lacks any sort of uh, um, radical, economic Marxism that I see. Now, Kim Ives is coming out with a, 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 um, a documentary on barbecue, and I want to see and understand what he has to say and put it in, in into those political contexts. The rise of a, a reactionary nationalism, traditionalism to offset the, the undermining tendencies of liberalism, as well as which is juxtaposed against a radicalism that emphasizes distribution of wealth, uh, uh, economic policies in a Marxian sense. Uh, um, so I, I, I don't see him as promoting traditionalism. He is promote, promoting a sense of Haitian nationalism, and I don't see his um, any sort of 
economic radicalism in terms of redistribution redistribution of wealth uh, in a Marxian sense. So right now I have them categorized as a nationalist who's on the fence between traditionalism leaning towards fascism or nationalism leading towards a radical uh, 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 Marxian revolutionary, Marxian Leninist revolutionary idea. That's where I see him now on the fence between the two. He could either be a fascist or he can be a revolutionary Marxist. But at the end of the day, if the, if the U.S. put in a police force, uh, it's either one of two things. Either, either they assassinate him or they arrest him and stick him in the prison like they did your boy uh, from Panama. What's my brother's name from Panama? Yeah, Noriega. So he's either got to rot in jail like Noriega or he's going to end up like um, uh, uh, Osama bin Laden. Yeah, wow. I don't see him being successful, especially now. I know China and Russia will veto any sort of UN resolution to provide. They may not veto an uh, an attempt to arrest him, though. What happened? They may not veto an attempt to arrest him personally. Uh, Russia may. I, I don't know if China will, but I think Russia may, given the the current political context we're in. But yeah. I don't think the U.S. will put out. A, a, a UN resolution to just simply go out and arrest him. I think they want forces on the yeah. ground. Well, that's what they've done thus far. The, re- the resolution. They, they haven't put out the arrest warrant. Arrest warrant yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Be, yeah. It's basically yeah. Get rid of G nine. <laughs> that's all they, they identify. But he's either going to die or. But. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm not. I'm not completely sold on this revolutionary take. I think he's leaning towards nationalism, fascism right now. Okay. Well, you've mentioned him before. Both of you have mentioned him. Could you just tell us really quickly who Kim Ives is? Kim Ives is a long-term uh, journalist and uh, writer on affairs that have, that have been going on in Haiti. He's been writing for, about Haitian politics for about 30 years, long-term, out of New York. Yeah, his newspaper is called IT Liberté. Is that IT yes, Liberté? Yeah. Okay, we have a question. Um, does Haiti still owe money to France, or are those debts forgiven? <laughs> <laughs> well, we paid off the independence debt, but um, uh, right now the debts were forgiven after the earthquake, but Haiti is back in debt now to Venezuela, to the, uh, the IMF. The World Bank, once again. So, and please let's correct this notion that France forced upon Haiti the independence debt, because I, I have to get, I get into it with my students all the time about this. It was the Haitians, the the oligarchy, the mulatto elites who proposed the independent debt. Alexander Pétion proposed Why? the independent debt. And Boyer, after the death of uh, Christophe, agreed. In fact, he called France and proposed it again so that they could recognize Haiti as an independent country. It was never in the mind of the French to impose this independence debt on Haiti. Had Alexander Pétion never proposed it, we probably would have never paid an independent debt. I went to school with one of his descendants, and I should have punched him for that. (laughs) 
<laughs> nice enough guy. Hey, well, we're, coming up, we're coming up on an hour, Paul, mm-hmm. which went in blisteringly quickly. It did. Uh, we've got to have you on again to talk about this. Maybe we'll have a, con- a show where we talk about multi- multipolarity. Absolutely. And you want to debate uh, Deep State Cuba. That will be an interesting show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to have me on so I, so I could defend Russia. Yeah, we might be able to do that for sure, for sure. So, uh, M. Tucson, do you have anything you want to say? Any parting words? Uh, no, this was an excellent show. Always a good time when Paul's around. Don't be Absolutely. a stranger. Oh, never. Yeah, this is the first Mau Mau episode where I had a guest, and you were the That's first right. guest on the Mau Mau Hour. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Honored, brother. Thank you. All right. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up. On that note, thank you very much for showing showing up, ladies and gentlemen, for the Mau Mau Hour. Check us out again next month at the end of the month, the last Wednesday. And thank you for coming out and supporting This is Revolution podcast. And we are out. Good night, guys. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.